worshiping the Lord, just seeking after Him today. And as it's raining outside, I was thinking, man, we need a spiritual rain in here. We need a spiritual flooding in here today. So as we step into worship, I just encourage you guys to really press into the Lord's presence this morning. Amen.
just a couple minutes we want to actually invite you to sit down we're going to go uh, through communion and uh we just want you to hang out stay in the atmosphere of worship and we'll uh we'll protect together here together in just a few moments
Yesterday as I was praying and meditating on our communion time together, a song came to my mind that I used to sing as a boy called, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And let that be our theme today. How many know the world is a pretty uncertain place? I'm concerned about Israel. I'm concerned about Iran getting a nuclear weapon. I'm concerned about floods in Texas and hurricanes and our economy and such a long, long list. But how many know we can face it all because he lives? Let's sing it together. Because he lives, I can face alive and that's the basis of our hope today. I have friends that are facing lots of trouble. I have a friend that's going to have open heart surgery tomorrow. I have another friend that's facing death apart from a miracle from God. I have another friend whose wife was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Now, how many know these are all life-threatening things? Come on, and you may say, well, it couldn't get any worse. Yeah, well, no matter what comes tomorrow, how many know Jesus is alive? And because he's alive, I can face whatever tomorrow may bring. You see, I have been adopted in the family of God. I am a son of God. Come on, if you're a woman, you're a daughter of the Most High God. And whatever comes our way, we can face it because Christ is alive. Paul the Apostle wrote these words. He said, I received from the Lord Jesus that which I delivered to you. The Lord on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Again, mind you, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They've eaten their meal and now they've paused. Judas is gone for his betrayal or he's about to leave. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, Lord, today as we hold this bread, we look back at what you did on the cross, that you paid the penalty for our sins, that your body was bruised because not because you deserved it, but because our sins demanded it, and you took our place. But, Lord, we're mindful of the fact that you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose from the dead just as you promised. You ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the promise was made that you'd return to this earth. So today as we hold this bread in hand, we pray that the Holy Spirit would make it real to us what Christ has done. And let us live a life, Lord, worthy of our calling. ask you to bless this bread and bless all that are sick, Lord, that we might be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat the bread together. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant or new promise in my blood. And this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The color of the cup reminds us of the blood of Christ shed on the cross. 
The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But how many know that's exactly what Jesus did? His death was not an accident. It was deliberate and purposeful so that he could be a substitute for our sins. So today, Lord, we come before you and we humbly ask you to forgive us, to wash us, to cleanse us. We acknowledge the wrong that we've done and we receive the cleansing power from God. I want you to just pray a minute and say, Lord, help me to commit afresh to live a holy life. Help me commit afresh to live a life of of following you in obedience to your word and your spirit. But we just welcome you today. Lord, with this cup in hand today, we forgive those that have sinned against us as we want our heart to be clean towards all men. And today, Lord, we look forward to the fact that you are coming again. And one day the trumpet will sound. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And so we'll be with him forever. So, Lord, we ask you to bless this cup today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah, hey, let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship with another song today. Yo, yo, yo. 
people believe that this morning? Amen. Make some noise for the Lord. Greet a couple people around you. Make your way back to your seats this morning. Church on a Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Run. It's that special time of year. The leaves are changing, the air is getting colder, and we are celebrating with our Church on the Rock Family Fall Festival. A chance for our Church on the Rock family to have some food, fellowship, and fun. With games, candy, hot chocolate, s'mores, you won't want to miss out on the Church on the Rock Family Fall Festival. Saturday evening, October 31st, after service. SUM Texarkana Bible College and Theological Seminary at Church on the Rock Texarkana offers affordable, accredited undergraduate and graduate theological degrees that combine academic excellence with practical ministry training and personal mentorship by seasoned ministry leaders. This process shapes students to be passionate, prepared, bifold ministry leaders. SUM is expressively a ministry training school. When students are released, they are ready to go into full-time ministry. Enroll now. My name is Greg O'Neill, and I teach Sunday school here at Church on the Rock. And I'm committed to imagine more I teach Sunday school in Pastor Mike's office every Sunday morning. So we really need some more classroom space.
Amen. Welcome to Church on the Rock. I think there's only one thing better on a rainy fall day than laying on the couch watching football. That's coming to church, worshiping the Lord with your church family, getting a great word, and to top it off, a donut with sprinkles right after service. Now, you only get sprinkles if you've been good this week. Remember that. Speaking of fall, we're having a family fall festival. That means it's for our church family, especially for our children to be able to come and get some have some games and prizes and toys and that kind of thing. It'll be Saturday night outside, and if the weather's not good, we'll go into Powerhouse. But it's a chance for our, uh, to invite some friends and more of a family kind of an atmosphere, and I think that's going to be a great time. If you want to help, sign up in the foyer. Also, our uh, some university students have almost made it through one whole semester right now. And so that means it's time to sign up for the next semester. So if you're considering uh, a Bible school where you can have some hands-on work right here in the church and uh, maybe try that out for a semester and just sign up in the foyer. You know, we're continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And you're preparing your offering. I just want to kind of reflect back to the Imagine More you just heard. Not only are we doing Sunday or classes in the baptism room, there's one in my office, but not only do they have class in my office, they got to kind of work around all the fall festival stuff in there because we don't have storage to put that, so my office kind of stacks up with extra stuff too. But, you know, this is a chance to make a commitment. And I just, first of all, those that have made commitments, I made one well over a year ago and still being faithful to that, and I know some of you are. And uh, if you haven't, grab one of these right now out of the front chair in front of you and just take it with you, put it in your Bible, pray over it, because I believe everybody in here should be able to make some kind of commitment to help reach souls. Don't you believe that? And when you make that commitment, or if you already have, go out in the foyer. There's an Imagine More board out there with holes in it. You can push a nail in. And we need a lot more nails pushed in there than that. I know there's that many people committed. So really pray about that, because by spring, we need to agree that we're going to have a million dollars in. Can we agree to that? I mean, it's a lot for one person. When we all work together, it really comes together, and we can break ground and make room for the kingdom. Amen? God bless you as you give today. Hey, before, let's just kind of have a prayer for our mission team. They're going to get official prayer next service. But we got a team going to Mexico the week after that, a team going to Haiti. So let's pray for them over our offering. Father, we want to thank you that you provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. But we pray specifically for these mission teams, that angels escort them down there and watch over them. And uh, they'll pray for protection, divine health as they just eat the food down there and minister to people. But great ministry to go forth. Bless the work of their hands and just bless these teams and their families and businesses as they're gone. In Jesus' name, amen.
song. How many know we do need a revival in America? Not, not just a series of church meetings, but an awakening in our culture. You know, there's a sense that uh, uh, as, as presidential elections around the corner, we're going to get so sick of advertisements and mudslinging and all that. But there's kind of a hope within people that maybe some change will come. Come on, that'll head us in the right direction, back to righteousness and back to God. But how many know that doesn't start in Washington? How many know that starts in the house of God? Because the Bible said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, that if we would seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, his promise was that he would hear from heaven and heal our land. So how many can say, Lord, we need that in our lives. We need that in our nation. We need that in our city. Come on, reach out to heaven with me just a moment. Well, Lord, we do pray for that today. You've been kind to us in so many ways, but we want to pray, Lord, for the future. We want to pray for our children. We want to pray for our nation and the world that there would be a spiritual awakening. We just pray as the world grows darker that the light of Christ would shine brighter. And Lord, that awakening would just break forth in our families. It would break forth in our churches, our neighborhoods, our places of business. We just simply say, Lord, we welcome you and we look to you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord one more hand this morning. He is good to us. And you may be seated. Well, we, last week we started a series called People Matter. People Matter, very simple yet profound. And in this series, we're literally learning how to love people the way that God loves us. You remember our foundational scriptures in the series. Last week we looked at John 3.16. I learned John 3.16 as a boy in a little Methodist Sunday school classroom. But John 3.16 is typically remembered, For God so loved the world that He... Gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And that, that scripture is so profound because it focuses on the love that God has for us. It focuses on the promise of eternal life. But the part of the scripture I'm going to focus on is for God so loved the world. And the world is not the planet earth. It is all the people of the earth. It is it's what we talked about last week. We talked about all the differences that separate people and divide us from one another. God loves people of different races. God loves people of different gender. God loves people that have made all sorts of mistakes. Aren't you glad for that? He loves us no matter what our education level is, our social standing. God cares about people. And how many know if people matter to God, they should matter to us? Well, that's what we talked about last week, and we also looked at how we are called to treat people. It is perhaps the most simplified verse. If you just look for a couple verses in the Bible to live by, Jesus said the first great commandment, love him with all your heart, but the second commandment was what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's kind of the foundation of the series. Last week we talked about uh, different people matter to God. Well, this morning we're going to talk about difficult people matter to God. When I mean difficult people, I'm talking about how to love knuckleheads. Anybody have any knuckleheads in your life? Yeah, anybody uh, ever been a knucklehead? Uh, anybody currently a knucklehead? Yeah. Well, how do, we, how do we love people we don't like? How do we love people that are hurting us, that have taken advantage of us, that have treated us wrongly? Uh, there's a passage I want to look at with you. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. It was one of the biggest knuckleheads of the New Testament. His name was Saul of Tarsus. We know him today as Paul the Apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But here's what he said about his life before Christ. He said, In the past, I spoke against Christ. 
I persecuted him, and I did all kinds of things to hurt him. And then what's it say? But God showed me mercy. Can you say that? But God showed me mercy. Because I didn't know what I was doing, I did not believe. Now, I want you to reflect with me on that scripture. When the scripture says that he not only spoke against Christ, but he persecuted Jesus, and he did all things to hurt him, what he's literally saying is that he persecuted and killed Christians. Now, how many know it doesn't get much worse than this? So here's my question to you is, why would God show this man mercy? He, he certainly deserved judgment. I mean, come on, if he, Jesus died for people, if the body of Christ is suffering, I mean, no, the one that hurts them kind of logically deserves justice. But God is a merciful God, and God even loves people who are behaving in difficult ways. It doesn't mean he approves of their behavior, but he loves them in the midst of their activity. He still cares about them. And the question I want to look at this morning is simply this. How does God want me to treat these difficult people? How do I treat knuckleheads in my life? And the phrase I'm going to use this morning is this. What can I do to open a door of grace so God can change their hearts? Let me say it again. What can I do to open a door of grace so God can change their hearts? Now, as we talk about how we treat difficult people... uh, I I am not saying you can't defend yourself. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't unfriend somebody on Facebook. I'm not saying, you know, that you can't pursue justice through a court system. But what I'm talking about very narrowly is a biblical response so that we might see a change in their life. Uh, We're going to see this morning that, that, that there are some ways that God can come shining through in a person's life based on how I respond to them. So this is a very broad message this morning. This knucklehead could be a a distant spouse. It could be a rebellious teenager, a selfish neighbor, a domineering boss, an arrogant teammate, a, a racist neighbor. It could be a multitude of people that rub us wrong, but in the midst of that, God still loves them. And the question for the mature Christian is, what can I do to reach them when they're acting in such a hurtful way? So let's talk about difficult people matter. And I want to talk about a little video about a grandmother, I think, that's going to put a smile on your face and inspire you. But uh, this grandmother, true story, in Dyersburg, Tennessee, she was in a Walmart, and she got in a little car, and uh, somebody gets in the other side and tries to rob her. So take a peek at what, uh, what Grandma did. You're watching Action News 5 at 10. A woman about to be mugged in the parking lot of a Walmart turned things around on her would-be attacker. Without a gun, without pepper spray, she protected herself. I was lucky enough to meet Pauline Jacoby in Dyersburg. She told me about the powerful words that saved her and could possibly save her attacker, too. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. 92-year-old Pauline Jacoby reads her Bible every day. Her strong faith keeps her going in life and in the process may have saved it. Jacoby had just finished putting away her groceries inside her car at a nearby Walmart. Only seconds after Jacoby got into her car, a man jumped in the passenger side. The man told Jacoby he had a gun and that he would shoot her if she didn't give him money. I said, no, I'm not going to give him my money. Jacoby told him no three times. Then she started to talk to him. You know, as quick as you kill me, I'll go to heaven and you go to hell. 
She told him to ask God for forgiveness. I said, Jesus is in this car, and he goes with me everywhere I go. And uh, he just sort of looked around, and the tears began to come in his eyes. Jacoby ministered the man for 10 minutes inside her car. And he says, I... I think I'll go home and pray tonight. I said, you don't have to wait tonight. I said, you can just pray anytime you want to. As tears were rolling down the man's face, Jacoby voluntarily gave him all the money she had, $10. And when I told him I was going to give him the money, I said, don't you spend it on whiskey either. <laughs> the man thanked her for the money and then... He kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> and walked away. He walked away. Now, have we got any grannies like that out there? Let me see your hand here. What would make a robber... Now, he knew she was an elderly lady before he got in the car. But what would make him turn the way he did? What would make him keep his gun in his pocket? What would make him give her a kiss on the cheek, come on, and, and even say that, I think it's time that I prayed a little bit? What could do that? Somehow, she opened a door by her response into his heart, and God came through that door. Now, listen, I'm not telling you every time that you treated a, a, a person been on hurting you or doing something wrong in your life that they're going to turn around like that. But I am saying there will be times in our lives when God wants a response that can be only supernatural, a response that where the Holy Spirit can come in because of what they've seen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, we're not going to do a lot of self-help stuff, but I'm going to focus very narrowly on the fact that how can I open this door of grace so God might come in and change the person's heart. All right, let's explore it. Acts chapter 7, we're going to talk about this door of grace, and we're going to look at a, a man in the New Testament. He was a deacon named Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, Stephen is giving his testimony or witness before the Jewish Sanhedrin. They're the ruling council. Uh, and when they heard these words, they were furious. They began to yell at the top of their voices. They drag him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, stoning is not something that we're acquainted with in America. When we do capital punishment in America today, typically it's a drug. Uh, there's a lot of cases that the Supreme Courts in different states have, have held off from uh, uh, the death penalty because they have questions about the drug. But this idea of stoning, if you can imagine taking a rock as big as your fist or maybe a rock as big as a cantaloupe, getting in a circle around somebody or perhaps they're against a wall and these rocks beginning to hit them. I mean, this is painful. It is brutal. It is barbaric. And these people are doing this to a Christian named Stephen. Uh, in verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I mean, even beyond the rock, Jesus is there. But then he cried out, verse 60, and, and here was the door, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That's an incredible thing to say, your last breath, don't hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's the Bible's euphemism for death for the believer. But verse 1 says, there was a man named Saul that approved of killing him. Now Saul was the one we read about just a moment ago in Timothy. He said he was the worst of sinners, but God showed mercy to him. Here's how he became a Christian, because Stephen opened the door of grace. 
Now, I suggest to you that they had probably stoned many people. They had heard cursing. They had heard begging. They had heard negotiating. But Stephen's response was different. It had a supernatural element to it. When you show kindness to undeserving people in the name of Christ, it can get their attention. It's almost as if he was saying that somehow he cared more for them, and they were religious people, but he had something, a relationship with God that they did not have, and it opened a door of grace for Saul. Now let's continue with Saul's story, chapter 9. Saul, mind you now, he was a Jew. He thought he was doing a good work for God by killing Christians, much like the the deception among the radical Muslims that believe if they kill people in the name of Muhammad, they're doing a good thing. Well, actually, it's deception. Paul is, or Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's response was, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, mind you now, again, he was persecuting people, but Jesus was so identified with the saints that he said, you're persecuting me. But in this moment of time, this man was touched by God. Days later, he would begin to preach the, 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 the words of Christ, and this God-hater became a, a, a Christian. He would later go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and I suggest to you that it was the witness of Stephen when he faced the most difficult people in his life who were stoning him, rather than responding to him in kind, rather than waving their middle finger at him, rather than, you know, just defying till the end, he was able to do what Jesus did on the cross, and he prayed for them, come on, that God would forgive them, and it opened a door of grace. Now, look, I pray that we never have to experience anything that difficult in our lives in terms of a stoning, but how many know the same door of grace can open in people's lives today? People that are all around us that hurt people, that do vindictive things, whether they're a boss or a spouse or a friend or a teammate on the football team. People are hurting people, but how many know when the love of God takes over in their life, God will change them and they'll be a different person? Well, you and I can facilitate them having an encounter with God. Now, let's keep going. Romans chapter 12, the same Paul, now that he's saved, he literally writes the book of Romans, and here's what Paul said. Paul showed us or tells us how to open the same door of grace that he went through in other people. Romans 12, verse 14, Paul said this. He said, bless those who... See, when I do this, I want you to say something, okay? That's kind of like, read the Scripture with me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, I don't know about you, but when people do me wrong, I want to curse them. I want to cuss. I want to, I want to get even. I want to retaliate. But what he's saying is, when they persecute you, you bless them. He's saying, treat difficult people the way Stephen treated him. And the reason, listen, the reason, the reason people do things that are hurtful is because they've got a God problem. People would not hurt people. Listen, when I am walking with Christ, I am a compassionate person. I'm a kind person. I'm a loving person. I help people. I don't hurt them. I don't take advantage of them. I don't, I don't do things that were, are violent acts towards them. But until I have that encounter with God, how I many know we're going to do crazy things? 
So there's people in the world that are just like you and I used to be that need what we have, and our responses to their hurtfulness could open a door of grace where they come to God. There was a movie many, when I was, uh, uh, when I was ooh, young man, it was called The Cross and the Switchblade. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but The Cross and the Switchblade was a movie about David Wilkerson. He was a great preacher, and he went to New York City. The Switchblade represented a young man. His name was Nicky Cruz, who went on to become an evangelist. But David Wilkerson was witnessing on the streets of New York City. And when he came to the street where Nicky Cruz was kind of the head gangbanger there, and, and, and Nicky Cruz took his knife and said, I'm going to kill you, preacher. And David Wilkerson said, if you cut me in a thousand pieces on this street, every piece will still say that they love you. Think about that. Here's someone, they've got a real knife, and they know, you know that they can hurt them, they hurt other people. And he said, you can cut me in a thousand pieces, but every piece will still love you. That is blessing people who curse you. That is opening a door. That's grandma in the Walmart parking lot, not just saying you can't have my money, but saying Jesus has a better plan for your life. See, and that same door that was open in their life can open in ours. Uh, Verse 17, Paul continues to say, he said, don't repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, when someone takes advantage of you, don't respond in kind. When someone cusses you, when they hurt you, when when they endeavor to attack you. And again, I'm not saying you can't defend yourself. I'm certainly not saying Christians are a doormat. But what I'm saying is, is if you are endeavoring to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of how you can reach a person for Christ, here's the ticket. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't take revenge. In other words, don't get even. Uh, don't, Don't take justice in your own hands, but leave room for God's wrath. Because the Bible says, God says, I'm going to avenge you and I'll repay, says the Lord. But this word revenge, it means to retaliate. It means to get even. It means you hurt me and I'll hurt you. It's the mafia way. Uh, come on, how many have a little mafia way in your own life today? Let me see that here. Okay, three people here in the marshal this morning knows who you are this morning. Every mafia movie I've seen, I kind of like guy movies, you know, the gangsters and all those things. Here's one thing gangsters do. They remember when you hurt them. And if you bring a knife, they're going to bring a gun, and they're going to get even with you. And that's kind of the way of the world. It's the way of the streets. But let me say this. It's not the way of the Christian. We've been raised in a world where there's a rivalry between Arkansas and Texas, where there's a rivalry, come on, between, between this team and that team, between this race and that race. And we respond in kind, but the Scripture's teaching us that if you want to open a door of grace rather than foster the hostility, then do this following. Verse 20, it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, your enemy. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. You say, that's what he needs, singe all the hair off his head. No, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But then it says this, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, when you're responding in kind to someone that's acting in a a hurtful way, you are responding to evil with evil. But somehow we can overcome evil with good. Let's let's talk about this phrase, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Uh, If you ever read the Chinese general's writing, he's often quoted in movies, Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu's Art of War. He said this, if your enemy's full, then starve him. 
So if your enemy's full, make him uncomfortable. But Jesus said, or Paul in this case, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And you do this because you want to open a door of grace to someone that knows, and you've seen the mercies, the, Ro- the Roman gladiator movies, you know, when, when uh, they've got a guy on the ground and the crowd is doing this and, and the gladiator, you know, refuses to kill him but gives him mercy. Well, how many know this is what we're talking about? It opens a door of grace. And the way we overcome evil with good, let me illustrate it to you this way. Let me show you a picture. How do I overcome evil with good? I don't know if you've ever seen this face, but he was quite popular in America a couple months ago. He was on the news. His name is Dylan Roof. And this is a picture of this man. He's at a bond hearing. You see the two police officers behind him. This is the guy that went in a church, an African-American church, on a Wednesday night, and he killed nine people. Now, how many know if there's somebody that deserves retaliation, he's the one? It was as if America had gas spilled all over it and somebody was ready to just flick a match and we'd have just exploded in racial hostility. But here's what the family members, one of the family members said to him in the room when he is being arraigned. She said this, it was the, it was the daughter of one of the victims, Ethel Lance, and she said to this man, I will, uh, she said, uh, I forgive you. I will never talk to my mother again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but I forgive you. Now, stay with me on this. Does there need to be justice? Yes. Will he receive justice? Yes, he will. But do I need to give that? Do I need to flick the matches over the gas and cause it just to explode around him? I want to suggest to you the higher ground is to do what these Christians did because he still, though a difficult person, could we even ask the question, does he still matter to God? Do the people, uh, how about Muslims today? They are beheading innocent Christians. And there's a flood of Muslim refugees coming to America, but they're also flooding the gates of Europe right now. I read a story this week where a Muslim converted to Christianity, and after he did, he was almost beaten to death by fellow Muslims. Now, that being said, I read a, uh, I'm reading a blog of a friend of mine that's in Germany. He's a Christian pastor, and he's reaching these Muslim refugees, and he said, we have statistically shown that 80% of the Muslims come to Christ because they, someone loves them in the name of Jesus. Say it again. 80% of the Muslims come to Christ because somebody shows them love. You see, their God, their prophet Muhammad, says what you do to your enemies is you kill them if they don't convert. But Jesus shows love and it changes their lives. So here on one hand, we have people that are acting in violence that need to experience true justice. That's what, I mean, that's what government is for, to protect those, to protect the innocent. But on the flip side, we've got people desperate for love. And somehow you and I may be the ones that God would use to open a door. I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Again, this coals of fire. Now, think about that picture that was just up there. The coals of fire implies that your action will make a person ashamed and lead them to repent. So the coal of fire is not punishment, but it's intended to... And I wonder if he felt that way when he dropped his head and he heard people telling him that he forgave him. Um, Did you know sometimes the Scripture calls the believer to endure unjust treatment? Now, this is meat this morning. This is a hard word, but if you're a believer that wants to influence people, sometimes the Scripture will call us to endure unjust or harsh treatment. 
We're talking about wives enduring harsh treatment in this passage, and it sets it up by saying people insulted Christ, but he did not insult them in return. Christ suffered, but he let God take care of him. And then this this is what he says, verse 1. He said, in the same way, you wives should yield or submit to your husbands. He's talking primarily to an unbelieving husband and the Christian wife. But then if some husbands don't obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe. They will be persuaded to believe by the way the wife lives. Now, you've got to understand, in their culture, a woman didn't have legitimate rights as women have today. In their culture, women were offered property. And this is in no way saying that a woman should stay in a violent situation. Listen, if you're in a violent situation, you need to get out of that place. But how many know not every situation that people abandon is because of violence? Sometimes if you're married to a knucklehead, even if the knucklehead is professing Christ... The way to get even with them is not hit them with something when they're sleeping at night. Are you with me today? This scripture, though they deserve it. But what this scripture says is there's a way to open a door of grace by the way that you live your life. And that's what I want to encourage you to. Again, I'm not telling you to be abused. I'm not telling you to. I'm simply saying there is a possibility that God might have you respond with grace to open a door of grace to see, them, to see him saved. Some of you are quiet on me today. Let's keep going. Luke chapter 6. Jesus spoke into this door of grace as well. Uh, Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, it's kind of like uh, Matthew's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke 6, we record the, some Beatitudes. But he said in verse 22, he said, Blessed are you when men hate you for my sake. Now that's an odd scripture. Jesus told us that if we live for him, people would hate us. We see it in America today. Through no logical reason, Christians are, be, excuse me, are being persecuted. But Jesus said some men will hate you, but when you do that, you're going to be blessed. And then he comes up a couple of verses later, and here's what he said. Luke 6, 27. I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. And here, then he teaches us how. He gives us six things, and we're going to come back and talk about them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are cruel to you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, offer him the other cheek too. Now, he didn't say what to do after that. If someone take... I did has last night have a guy come up to me. He said, now, he said I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story. He said, when I was a young man, he said, I was a second-degree black belt. And I was on the street. I was by myself. And I don't know what was going on, but he said a group of people began to gather around me. And I could tell they were ready for a fight. And one of them hit me in the face. And he said, before I hit back, I heard the Holy Spirit say, tell him Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And he said, I did that. And he said, about that time, it was just like everybody froze because they weren't expecting it. He said, the police showed up. But in this case, we're going to talk about what it means a little more in a minute. But, but, But Jesus said, if someone takes your coat... Don't stop him from taking your shirt. Now, the legal system of the day, they would allow someone to sue you for your outer garment, but they wouldn't let them take your shirt or what was next to your body because you could freeze or get hypothermia or whatever. But Jesus said, if they take your coat, give them your shirt. I wish these scriptures weren't in the Bible. He said, give to everyone who asks you. And when someone takes away something that's yours, don't ask for it back. 
do to others what you would want them to do to you. That's the golden rule. Now, why in the world would Jesus say this? Now, let me, let me first of all say this. Jesus didn't command us to feel this way. These are all actions. How many know when I treat you the right way, when you treated me the wrong way, it's not because I'm scared of you. Come on. It's not because I'm afraid, but, it, but, 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 but it's because it's a command that the Lord gave me. And again, Jesus is not saying that we're weak. He's not saying we're a doormat or, or defend ourselves. But what he is saying is there may be something more important than our rights or our comfort, and that is our witness to people. Now, again, as we say this this morning, we need to, to broaden the context. Jesus didn't always do this to his enemies. You remember when he went in the temple, the money changers, when they were there, what did he do? He turned the tables upside down. Jesus, Jesus would rebuke people to their face when they were in sin. Uh, he was angry at the money changers. He would confront people. So Jesus was not afraid to stand up, but at the same time, he says there's opportunities to give grace, come on, rather than justice, grace rather than judgment, grace rather than what they deserve because it can open a door. And as I say these words to you this morning, I would simply hope that when you're in a situation where someone has treated you the wrong way, before you react, that you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because if we will endeavor to stay in step with the Holy Spirit, I think we'll be on the right track. So let, let's go further with this. Now, let's look at these six ways we treat these difficult people that hate us, that has the possibility of opening a door of grace for their soul. Here's how we love our enemies. Number one, the first one was do good to those who hate you. Do good to them. There was a woman in our church a number of years ago, a dear friend. Her name was Mary. And Mary and her husband lived in, a, in an isolated cabin in Arkansas. Beautiful place. But they came home one day. It's a true story. They came home one day, and two prison escapees had broken into their home. They had guns. They found them. They got them. They tied them up in their, in, in their house, and they said that they were going to shoot them. I mean, no, that's not a great place. You're thinking, how do I get out of here? And Mary said they were there about a day, and she said all that, that evening and all that night, they would quote Scripture. They would sing worship songs. They would talk to them, come very similar to the grandmother. They would have conversation with them and even offered to cook food. And I don't mean food that poisons them, but I mean something to be good to them when they're not being good to you. I had another video. I wish I had time to show it, but, but it was a story. It happened in Florida. It was a true story. It was on the news. They recorded this on the video camera in the store. But this 20-year-old girl was running. It was a phone store. I think it was a Metrotel. She was running the store. This guy come in. Nobody else was there. And uh, he, he pulled out a gun and said, I need all your money. Give me $300. And she walks to the cash register and she said, I'll give you whatever you want, but let me tell you about the Jesus that I have first. And she starts talking to him about Christ. And it's the most incredible thing you saw on this video. She's talking to him about Jesus. He comes up to the counter and he said, I'm a Christian too. She said, well, why are you doing this? He said, I've tried every way I know to get money, but I'm going to be evicted if I don't have $300. And then she said, well, listen, you just need to go to church. And she, he said, I do go to church. I go to a Calvary chapel. And she said, I've been there. I love your pastor. And all of a sudden, everything is changing. It's just like the grandmother in the car. And she's saying things like, I'll help you get a job. You don't have to do this. He said, no, I need the money. I have to have it. And then she pulls it out. And she said, I'll give it to you, but they're going to make me pay it back. I'm responsible for everything. And he said, I can't do this. I couldn't do that to hurt you. He walked out and he said, God bless you. 
Now, I'm not telling you to do what she did. I'm just simply saying there are opportunities that when you do good to someone who does evil to you, it might open a door of grace and it could turn things around. Jesus said this, bless those who curse you. Same thing that Paul said. The Proverbs says in Proverbs 12, careless words stab like a sword, but wise words bring healing. So if you're married and your marriage is in trouble and your spouse says, I wish I would have never married you, what comes out of your mouth next could determine the future. And if you say to them, I wish I'd have never married you too, you sorry, blah, blah, blah. Or if you go to the kitchen and get a knife, it all escalates. But if you say, I'm glad I married you because I prayed and I felt you were God's man for me. And I'm hurting right now just like you're hurting, but I still love you and I wish we could pray because I'm praying about us every day. Words are different. Words can kill or words can heal. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Here's another one. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I've got to be honest. I'm having a little problem with this very thing right now. I think it's past me. But I had an issue... uh, a guy that delivered my newspaper. I, I live in, in the country, uh, and when the paved road stops, I've got a little gravel driveway, and it kind of reminds me of, of the road I, where I was raised in the country, and I kind of like it. And I just put down a couple tons of rock and shoveled it around, got it kind of nice for the winter. And my mailman comes up, and he comes up to the mailbox, and he spins his tires, and it makes ruts. And now I go get down my road, and I'm going... <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'm going to write him a letter and ask him not to do that. So I I wrote this little letter, and I said, Thank you for delivering my newspaper. Would you please not spin your tires at my mailbox? It caused ruts in my road. The next morning, I get up to get my paper, and there's this note, and all it says is, Okay, I'll leave your paper at the end of the road then. (laughs) Something rose up within me. I'm calling his boss. I'm going to get him fired. That's what he deserves. But I felt this little nudge. You need to pray for him because who would want a job where they have to get up at 3 or 4 in the morning, come on, and never hear a word of thanks from anybody unless they have a problem? Who would want a job like that? That guy must be having troubles. And I did call the, the, the boss, but I didn't try to get him fired. But it's a difficult thing to know how to respond. And if before we react, if we could pray... Because prayer has the potential to get through when nothing else does. And if it's not just about my comfort and my rights, but if maybe it is about the other person, here's the deal about prayer. You may have a huge wall between you and someone that's difficult in your life, and you can't get through that wall. Well, how I many you know prayer is like a cell phone? It's like when you, it gets over the wall, it finds the tower, and it gets on the other side of the wall. And Jesus said, pray for those who mistreat you. Here's another one. Don't retaliate. This is the turn the other cheek. Now, one commentator said this is probably not a literal slap, though it could be, but it's probably an insult from people who hate you. But irregardless, the first thing we want to do when we're wrong is to respond in kind. My first tendency is to react and retaliate to, to make sure it doesn't happen again to get even. When I lived in California many moons ago, We hired a contractor, and he added a room onto our house, and I made a progress payment of $10,000, and he went to Canada. 
So I've got more house to do than I've got money, and I don't really know how to do this, but I'm fairly handy, so I'm under my house at 2 in the morning after I've worked all day because he put the wrong solder on the pipes. Are you with me today? And the, and the contractor said, or the, the city inspector said, you have to wick that off. So here I've got a flashlight, and I've also got this torch, and I've also got a fire extinguisher because I'm scared I'm going to burn my house down when I'm under here and don't know what I'm doing. And as I'm thinking about it, the more I think about it, the more I want to get even with this turkey. But the Lord didn't let me do anything until I got beyond the retaliation feeling. Somehow we've got to get through the emotion of it because when we retaliate, we'll shut every door to potentially helping them. And here's the last one. When Jesus talked about giving to those that ask or giving freely, do you remember the movie Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman? It was a true story. It was about a principal that went into this high school, and he literally, it was, it was just, I mean, the worst in America, and he literally turned it around, but he was this strong, brash, in-your-face guy, and he'd made some people in the community mad. Well, his boss came in, and I mean, his boss is reading him the right act. He's telling him that he's the head guy in charge, and he just needs to, to buck up and toe the line, and, and you can tell these two are just about ready to fight, and after he'd rebuked him real good, his boss puts his arm around his shoulder said, come on, let me buy something to eat. And it just diffused the whole situation because he was willing to give something. Come on, not bribe somebody, not pay them, but he was willing to give, come on, someone that was ready to get back in their face. And Jesus said, this can open a door of grace because that's the golden rule. Let me wrap it up today. Let me kind of close with this phrase, like father, like son. As we continue the words of Jesus, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them, and lend to them without hoping to get anything back, and then you will have a a great reward. You see, we're not just living for the day, but we're living for the future. And listen now, you'll be children of the Most High God, because God is kind even to people who are ungrateful and full of sin. God is kind to people who are ungrateful. And then he said, show mercy just as your Father shows mercy. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? And I I want to close in prayer today. But I just wonder this morning what the Holy Spirit has said to you. You know, as we talk about a, a message like this, I hope, I hope you got something out of this. I hope this is meat to you this morning. But I know for many of us, you're in a situation right now where the Holy Spirit has been talking to you in this message about difficult people. And I can tell you, what I did to the newspaper guy and what I did to the contractor building my house ultimately was not what I wanted to do in my flesh, but it was a God step, come on, that helped to turn something that could have been bad around into something that's good. But how many know we've got to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit to work with Him to do that? Because hurting people hurt people. Deceived people hurt people. Selfish people hurt people. But when they have an encounter with the living God, how many know God can change their heart? Just like God changed the heart of Saul of Tarsus through the witness of Stephen. And just like God changed the heart of the robber when the little grandma began to talk to him about Christ. Because it was more than about $10. It was about the eternal soul of a man. I want you to just pause just a moment with me. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I've got somebody that the Holy Spirit is 
is, is showing me a difficult person in my life that God wants me to respond to with grace. I've got a difficult person in my life, and I'm not 100% certain what I need to do, but I know I need to bless them rather than curse them. And I'm going to ask God to show me what to do because I want my life to be a, a door of grace where God can change their life. That's you today, and you've got one of these difficult people, and you just simply want to say to the Lord, Use me, Lord, to help them. Would you just slip up your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. That's right, all over the building today. I want you to look around, church, and I want you to just put your hand on the shoulder of anyone that has their hand lifted right now. We're going to pray for them. If you want prayer, you don't have to say a word, but look around. I see a couple right over here to my right. Just look around. If you see somebody has their hand lifted, I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. If if nobody's praying for you, just wave your hand at me here. I want to make sure everybody's getting some prayer right now. But I want all the rest of the church just to pray for them right now. Because what we're talking about is a difficult thing. It's a hard thing to do, to bring peace where there's hostility. Could you just begin praying with me right now for our friends? Because, listen, when people treat you wrong, it hurts. It's not just a feeling, but, but, but it hurts. It hurts Stephen for sure, physically and emotionally. It, 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 it hurts. But somehow God can help us get to the other side. And, Lord, we wanted to simply pray this for our friends today, that you would use them as a, as a door of grace. You would use them as a way to get somebody's attention for God, that you would show us what the right response is so we can be like our Father in heaven that loves the undeserving, just like you love us. And that's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to close with an opportunity for personal prayer. We do it every service. We're going to close. We're going to have one last song and then dismiss. And you get that little sprinkled donut, or better yet, get the donut and then hang around. We've got in the, in the cafe, uh, we have a great class. It's a through the Bible in seven years. And if you're hungry to learn in depth of the Bible, it's in the cafe. It starts at 1045. But right now, I want to offer an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you brought a real burden to church with you. And you want somebody to talk with you, to pray for you before you go. Listen, now's the time to do it. Uh, it doesn't matter what your need may be, but we'll be happy to pray for you. The most important need we'd like to pray for, though, is your spiritual life. Maybe you're here today and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Maybe you're very far away from God, but you want to be near to Him. Maybe you've never experienced salvation. Maybe you're like me. I was raised in church, but how many know going to church doesn't get you to heaven? What gets you to heaven is that you invite Christ to be your Savior and turn to follow Him. And maybe you're at a pivotal place right now. You've not found happiness in the world. You've not found happiness in all that it offers. Well, my friend, God is the source of your happiness and future. And if you're, if you're away from God and you want someone to pray for you about a relationship with Christ, it'd be our privilege. If that's you, you're away from God, I'm going to ask that you just walk over to this cross in just a moment and stand there and somebody's going to pray for you and, and kind of talk to you about your relationship with Christ. Or whatever it may be, they're going to begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming around the altar right now. And as people are coming here to pray for you, let me encourage you, if you need prayer, just slip out of your chair. They're here for you. They've been praying for you. We want to believe God for a miracle moment in your life. And if you need to make a spiritual commitment with your life, you come on over to the cross. We'd be honored to pray. I love you, and I'm glad you were here. We need your
Our prayer team is going to stay down front for the next few moments. And if you need prayer for anything, we, we would love to pray for you. Um, but at this time, you can feel free to be dismissed. If you want to, you can come hang out with us in the Connect Cafe. We got fruit and donuts. Uh, anyway, be blessed this week. We love you guys.